All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Natureversity podcast. Today, I have the distinguished and honored guest of being here with Philip Liebel. Philip, thank you so much for doing this, man. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I'm it's honored been a, to be here. It's been a while since we've been trying to get together, and we're here in Graham, Texas at yeah. Sky Earth. And uh, I'm so excited that we're getting able to share these primitive skills, these traditional skills with people. And uh, Philip, tell all the listeners who you are. Yeah, so my name is Philip Liebel. I am the owner and lead instructor of Primitive Wilderness Survival. And I also run a kids nature program, which is, you know, highly, you know, because of you. <laughs> you oh. Know, you, you had a big part in inspiring that. Yeah. So thank you for uh, for being an inspiration. Of course, yeah. yeah. I'm always honored to and, and ec- ecstatic to help anyone who's, doing anything in in the vein of outdoor education for kids because I'm only one person but if I can inspire somebody to go out there and then re-inspire kids to re-inspire others like we're we're yeah. on a success story together. Absolutely. It's so, so important. I want to honor you for just saying I'm going to take this risk. Dude, I know what it's like to yeah. say I'm laying all the cards out. This is yeah. the only thing I'm going to make happen and it's either make or break. So yeah, it's scary for sure, but it's a, uh, it's a risk that I think is definitely worth the gamble. It's, it's so important. So yeah. What was it like? Let's start, let's start there. Talk about that, man. How was that like when you got into primitive skills, you were doing good things with adults, but what was it? Did you have a full-time job? What was going on? Yeah. So I was working full-time. I was a, a maintenance man for a concrete company. And honestly, it was like, Every day I did that, it was like a small piece of my soul died. Yeah. Because I get off work and I want to go play in the woods and I want to practice these skills and, and pass these skills on. But during the work day, I'm keeping these concrete plants running so that they can go mow down trees and create parking lots. Oh, man. Which is super counterproductive to what I want to be doing, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was a risk. It was definitely a big gamble, but I think it's so important that sometimes you have to look past you know, taking care of yourself and go a little deeper and, you know, how can I help the world a little more? So not to say that I'm completely selfless, but that it's so important that it's, you know, I I just had to do it. Yeah. And again, the, the risk, I I think you took a much bigger risk than I did because when I did it, I was not a dad. I didn't have a wife. Yeah. You know, I didn't have a homestead. I didn't have anything, I guess that tethered me to something that I felt was like really valuable. I just had myself. Right. And so I was able to take this leap of faith and, but you, man, I, my hat goes off to you cause you did it with a wife, with kids, with, you know, just, and the trust that your wife and your family had to go behind you. I yeah. mean, that just speaks to, you know, you as an individual and their faith in you. So I, right. I don't know any, anybody out there who's listening to this for the first time and they're like, who is this guy? Uh, yeah, you'll get to know him soon. Cause, uh, he's an amazing individual. And I'm, like I said, so let's go back even before the kids program that you started. What was, what was it like? Where were you born? What, tell us the Philip label story. Yeah. So I was born in Chico, Texas. Yeah. Well, technically I was born in Denton, uh, which is the closest hospital. Sure. Uh, but I grew up in Chico, Texas, which is a really small, um, you know, kind of country town. So, you know, I, I didn't grow up doing all the city stuff. You know, I played outside. I had, we had a pond. I'd go fishing every day. We had, I'd go down there and build forts and, you know, shelters, but yeah. I call them forts. Yeah. And yeah, I would, I would basically just spend all my time outside and my mom would have to come out and call me 
for dinner every night. And still sometimes it would be an extra 30 minutes or so if I'm really caught up in what I was doing before I would, would go back. So um, I was lucky to have, you know, a, a decent amount of land to run around and play on. And parents that, you know, took me camping, took me fishing, took me hunting, and did all the outdoor stuff to really kind of light that fire and ignite that in me at an early age so that I could, you know, get into this stuff. Yeah. And it's so unfortunate now we have kids who are growing up without any type of nature connection. Something happened the other day where one of our teachers at this farm school I know was like, yeah, the kids, you know, we, we brought a cantaloupe into the class and the kids were like, that, what is that? Like, he's wow. like, this is a cantaloupe. And they're like, it's like orange though. You know, he, she's like, well, on the inside of this, it's orange. They're like, oh, really? And they had never seen it like ripe cantaloupe because they'd always come from packages and I was just blown away by that story so the disconnect is real man yeah we're so disconnected I think right now we are more disconnected from the natural world than ever probably I'm sure you know more about it than I do so I'm I'm speaking to the choir here but um yeah but tell the tell the audience man they want to know because it's important yeah I mean when you're when you're disconnected because nature's our home it's where we grew up. It's, it's, well, it's where we came from genetically, right? It's our home. It's it's our house. We didn't have these cities and we weren't this disconnected ever until now. So when you, when you have that disconnect from, from your natural home, from, you know, belonging somewhere, there's a lot of repercussions that come with that. And, you know, we've, you already know, but we've seen like a massive rise in ADHD, anxiety, depression, all these things. And I think it stems from that lack of connection that, you know, that we're missing something inside that nature has. And without that, you know, you get these problems that stem from that. Yeah. It's weird the fact that they're sold, they're selling us the concept of connection through these phones. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the, ridiculous. That's the 24 <laughs> seven thing. I always say, I don't know if you've ever heard this. I always say you're as close to somebody or is your, you're as connected to somebody as far as you can walk to them. Right. So yeah. that truthfully, yeah, like, absolutely. And to think about, oh, well, we have family all over the world, and it's like, well, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah. But can you walk to them? And that's I, I want to say. So luckily, I've been able to, and hopefully, you have too, to been able to keep family close. We've always been in Austin and San Antonio. I think this is the farthest we've ever strayed away. Yeah. But um, so what else was it like? So you were growing up building forts. Mom was calling you back in constantly, trying to get you inside and. What was uh, middle school and high school like? Were you, were you keeping up with these skills or ever trying to practice them? Yeah, so like I said early on, it was just um, a pretty average childhood, at least in my area, where we'd go camping, fishing, all that stuff. But um, as I got a little older and became a teenager, I started hearing these stories that my mom and my grandma would tell about her mother. So it'd be my great-grandmother. Um, and about her Cherokee heritage and her Cherokee temper. You know, my mom would go out there and, and mess with her laundry or something. She would just tell us about this crazy Cherokee temper she had. Uh, but it really interested me, uh, this heritage that I had that I, I really knew nothing about. You know, I grew up knowing that we were part Cherokee. My mom, you know, most people thought that, that she was Mexican because she's fairly dark and she doesn't look white. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <clears throat> but I, I never really knew much other than that. So about the time I turned, I don't know, probably 14 or 15, I really became really interested in that and being a teenage boy the first thing that you're gonna get into is primitive weapons right yeah you want to you want to know about the warriors and the warfare and the weapons they were using 
So I discovered they're using Osage orange to make their bows. And we happen to have several Osage orange trees growing outside of our house. So the next day I'm out there with my dad's hatchet, you know, chopping on trees. And the first few bows that I made were really ugly and and not very functional. Um, But, you know, I kept trying, I kept working on it. I, I got the hang of it. And once you make a primitive bow, you don't want to go out there with this, this awesome, you know, super primitive Native American bow and be using arrows that are bought from Walmart, like the Carbon Express arrows, right? So I had to learn how to make my arrows. And I don't want to have all this other primitive stuff and then, you know, put modern broadheads on there that I buy from the store. So I learned a flint nap. And it didn't happen quickly, right? Don't, don't think that this happened within a few weeks. Like, it's over many years. But um, I started down that rabbit hole of primitive skills. And once I would learn one skill, it would give way to two other two or three more skills that, that this can, um, you know, turn into or, or overlap with. So I just kept going down that rabbit hole and that started at probably 16 and I haven't really slowed down. Yeah, In fact, old, I've, I've sped how, up quite a bit. Lately. How old are you now? I'm 32. There you go. Yeah. 16 solid years, man. Yeah. And That's a stint. Don't get me wrong. Like, uh, from the time of 16 to about 21, um, I didn't really do a whole lot with it. That was just kind of the beginning, but once I turned about 21, I really started getting interested in the primitive skills. So a solid 10 years of pretty serious practice, I would say. Yeah. And do you, what was your very first survival school or survival experience that you had experienced? Yeah. So my first experience, um, a buddy of mine asked me, I was probably 19, 20 at the time, and I just moved to Wichita Falls. And I was going to college up there. And he still lived in Chico. But he, he said, next time you come down, we should, you know, we should take a week off from work and go out in the woods and do a survival trip. And I was like, okay, that sounds fun. So we made these plans and we decided we we're going to go out. Um, each of us could get one tool. So he got a hatchet and I got a multi-tool. And we got out there and we took a pot as well to, to boil water in. So we get out there and I'm still completely enamored with the primitive archery and the primitive hunting thing, which I still am to today, but I have a broader range of skills now. So we get out there, and we'd been practicing for months before trying to get ready for this. So we learned bow drill. Uh, We learned, you know, to make cordage and all this stuff. So we get out there. We start making a bow drill set, and it's the first week of turkey season in the spring. So we're we're doing our bow drill set, and I'm sure you're familiar sometimes when you don't have enough downer pressure or maybe the wood's too wet, um, and it gets kind of polished up. It'll make a really high-pitched squeaking noise. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're bow drilling, all of a sudden you start hearing, <laughs> calling turkeys. And yeah, so about 100 yards away, this turkey just starts gobbling like crazy. And it's yeah. really thick woods. I can't see it, but I can hear it, and I know it's close. So we start hearing this turkey gobbling, and we're still trying to make fire. We'd built a shelter already, and I'll get to that in a minute, but we'd built a shelter. So we're trying to make fire, and I'm like, man, we got to hurry up and get this going and boil some water so I can make a bow and we can get out there and, and get some turkeys before dinner time because that's what I'm focused on now. Yeah, food. The second I heard that, that turkey gobble, uh, my attention was there. So we got our fire going. We got we boiled some water out of the out of the creek, and I immediately switched gears after we hydrated and started making this bow. So I finished it probably about an hour before dark, and I made one really not very good arrow, no fletchings or anything, but it was... It was part of a tree, like a sapling, where it split off into about four or five different branches. So the end of it, the head was like this crazy, like sprawled out looking 
thing with, with five points coming off. So I was like, if I can hit them in the head with this, it, it's going to be like a really epic turkey arrow, right? So I finished my bow, put some paracord on it. We took paracord as well. Um, put some paracord on there. I shoot into a cactus a few times. I'm like, okay, this is good enough. So then we spend the, the next probably hour um, out trying to find these turkeys. And I'm so caught up in it that I get way on the, o- the other side of this property that we're on, which is about 500 acres. And I get on the other side, and it gets dark while I'm over there. Oh, man. So we wander back into camp in the dark, which took forever <laughs> because we, we didn't really keep up with where we're going very well. So we wander back into camp in the dark, and we get back into camp, and we restoke our fire. We gathered very little firewood, and we start getting ready for bed. And the worst thunderstorm of the year blew in that night because, you know, it's early spring. It's turkey season, and that's when all the thunderstorms roll in in my area. So this crazy thunderstorm rolls in and in our haste, we hadn't really spent nearly enough time on our shelter and we built our shelter in an area where lots of runoff comes right next to the Creek. So it was kind of like a a divot in the ground uh, with higher ground on both sides so that we could just lay logs and debris across the top and make a roof. But that's also the area where all the water's going to So we got, it rained all night. I mean, heavy rain. So all of our firewood, all the firewood was soaking wet. Our fire went out. We're just laying there, basically in this creek now. It it had turned into a small creek. And we're just laying there with this water running by, like trying to get up on the high ground where we can stay somewhat dry. And that was, I'm not going to say that's the most miserable night I've had in the the woods because I've had some pretty bad ones. But um, I really, that that drove home the idea of these priorities of survival. And that's when I realized that, you know, everybody's the romantic thing is going out and killing, you know, hunting with, with primitive archery for me, it was. And, you know, when you think about native American heritage, you think about primitive hunting and primitive warfare. Uh, But there's so much other stuff that comes with it that is really more important, but they were already set up. They already had their everything established. Right. So, Rather than be discouraged and, you know, have a miserable week the rest of the time, I decided to use that as motivation um, to dive even deeper into these skills and and learn more and do it right the next time rather than rush ahead and try to go straight into hunting. So that kind of, like I said, rather than discourage me, that kind of fueled more of a fire to really learn all of these skills. And that's, I was about 21 at the time, I think, Um, but that's where it really where I really started. Yeah. <clears throat> it's those experiences that kind of, I don't know that if for people, I think like you and me, we are always open to challenges. And yeah. the moment that we're like kind of humbled and put in our place, we're like, wait, 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 wait. I know I can do better than what I just did. Yeah. How so, can we go back and fix this? Yeah. And it's, it's almost like, um, you know, a sport I think survival is mm-hmm. that a lot of people get into and, uh, it's, uh, somebody said one time, how did they say it? Something about, it's like, uh, it's extreme physical challenges with dire consequences, right? You know, and you're going to, you might die out there if you're not careful. And, uh, th- you know, that kind of makes me wonder the, the audience. So the people who watch those survival TV shows, do you think those people are more, like doing this stuff or do you think those people are just like your average individual who just really loves to vicariously kind of like watch adventure you know what kind of like 
ratings do those survival shows get? I'm sorry, this is a tangent, but I'm going to ask it because yeah. I'm thinking about it. Yeah, do no, you know? I don't know about the ratings, and honestly, I don't watch a whole lot of TV. I mean, I've seen most of the survival shows, but um, if I had to guess, and I don't want to, I don't want to insult anybody, <laughs> but if I had to guess, I would say most people probably just watch it to live kind of vicariously, and 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 that's it's kind of a bad thing because I think that's why they like some of them focus so much on drama because mm-hmm. people just want the drama and not so much always the educational mm, side of things. That's a good point. Um, but I, I, I would prefer if they would kind of change the format and focus more on the educational side of things. Yeah. Not to say that there's not really good shows out there. Um, we both know Hazen, Odell. Yeah. Um, he has a really good show, Primal Survivor and Survive the Tribe, stuff like that. Um, those are really good educational shows. And I think Alone is really good as well because it's so real. They, they have to film themselves. They don't have any, I mean, not to say that they don't add in drama afterwards, but they're still, they focus on the, the psychology of survival and the things that are important because that's massively important. And I think Alone has been a really good one yeah. as well. But people, I'm, I'm in a group called the Alone Discussion Group and I finally got out of it because um, the negativity in that group is just absolutely unreal. Yeah. So if you're in that group and you're listening, please be more positive. <laughs> but it's uh, it what, was it was so unreal. Is it, is it the contestants who've been on the show, or is it no, no people who watch the show who are in, interested in your life and what you do because you were on the show? Yeah, it's it's all people that have watched the show and this particular group. It's like people get on there just to complain about whatever you know the people are doing in that episode. Oh. So they, they complain like, oh, we've heard enough whining and complaining about family. We want to see the skills or we're tired of seeing them give thanks for the animal they've killed. They show that every time. And they don't understand the importance of the psychology of survival. Yeah. And how how much of a role that plays in our ability to survive, in our, in our want to survive, and how much that drive... Um, you know, can change the outcome. Sure. So people like Wonia and Callie Russell and Carrie Lee and all these people that are, that stay really positive and keep that positive mental attitude and refuse to let the, all the other stuff kind of get them down. They, you know, they've learned to be grateful. Gratitude is so massive. Gratitude's such a big skill that people overlook. Um, but I'm, I'm super thankful for, for people like these women um, that have gone out and shown what you can accomplish with gratitude and with a positive attitude and staying humble and not, you know, connecting. Um, it's about the connection. It's not, you know, the second you go out there and try to take on Mother Nature with this Rambo mentality, you might get by with it for a week or two, right? But Mother Nature is always going to win. Not that it, we should be battling with her, but uh, when you go out with that that attitude that, um, you know, I'm going to go out and kick Mother Nature's butt, you know, that's, if you make it, it's very short-term. And to make it long-term, you have to connect to the place. You have to, to connect to the environment. And you have to keep that positive mental attitude and learn how to be grateful for everything and be grateful for what you don't have. And be grateful for the lessons that you get from the difficult situations. Yeah. 
You know, it's weird when you bring that up. It, I, I think about how humans, <clears throat> we just have this obsession with like going, 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 yeah. going, you know, and we never stop. And so I think that's why survival's like that. Or, or maybe I should say it's why it's perceived like that. Because when you look out at deer, you know, or any animal, I should say, you don't see them all day going. Right. They're not going, 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 going. No. But there are moments where like, there's like, and, and I think that brings to an awareness of how you can understand the natural world a little bit better, which is to understand what I like to call baseline, you mm-hmm. know, baseline of the woods. Well, yeah, it's like right. 6 a.m. There's the, the, the dawn chorus and you've got all this activity. And then as it dies down with the heat of the day and everything takes a break, like we have that same ebb and flow naturally when we're out there i mean we're at sky earth right now and there's times where like man it's hot we just want to like chill right now it's chill part of the day and yet in survival i think uh maybe it's more like the military style approach that's been taught so collectively to this culture you know western culture but it's just like you said it's it's slash and grab survival but then i i just have to question those people who like you said it's only going to get by a couple of weeks because i think what's going to happen is you're going to exhaust your energy resources so much right. you're just going to be exhausted right and nobody maybe maybe elon musk lives like this but maybe i don't think anyone out there in the world just goes and goes and goes and goes like yeah <laughs> you got to no, take you a have break, to recharge man. you have to recharge so and i think um, that mentality the, the military mentality is because they have these packs, they have the rations, they have all this stuff to where they can get by a little bit more um, with that mentality because they're not depending so much on the resources. But when you try to take that mentality and that format and put it into a situation where you're very limited on the amount of gear and the amount of food and what you can take with you and you're forced to depend on Mother Nature I think that's where that fails, and people, I guess they don't uh, see the difference in, in going out completely prepared with whatever you need for this certain amount of time versus seeing how long you can stay on the land with very minimal gear, and that's where that, that connection really comes into play, I think. When you have adults take your survival classes, <clears throat> I just, I'm just speaking to this because of what you just said, I feel like there's this desire for instant gratification. Yes. And so when you have adults take your classes, like, do you see any, like, I don't know, being let down or, oh, this wasn't as cool of a class as I thought because they don't walk away with something right away, like an arrowhead or yeah. anything? You, Yeah. Or yeah. do you think that you maybe present it to them and look like, I'm going to get your expectations low anyway before the class starts? Yeah, so you're exactly right. Um you know, I normally try to speak to that at the beginning of the class that things like friction fire and um, flint napping, these are skills that take a lot of time and a lot of tonnage, as I always say with flint napping. Um, you know, it, basically the classes, I explained to them the classes are going to cut down the learning curve massively. You're going to get these basic ideas all thrown at you very quickly, and it's going to really cut down that learning curve, but you're not going to you know, get to this point in one day. It's impossible for the most part. Sometimes people are insane, like astounding, and they can catch on really fast. But um, I haven't really had people be upset with the class, but I have seen people get upset with themselves. Mm. Like they they think that they should be able to do this in one day. And I just try to explain, you know, 
slow down, learn to enjoy the process. Um, and that goes all the way through everything. It's really important to learn to enjoy the process. Uh, like you're talking about, we, we go, go, go and go, and we never slow down because we're always after the end result. We're always after, you know, we want to make this knife, but we don't want to, I don't want to go through all those steps. You know, you want to get, you want to take this thing and have a knife and be done with it, but you don't want to do what it takes to get the knife most of the time. Yeah. Um, so that instant gratification is really detrimental. Um, and that's what, you know, even if nothing else, if you're not learning these skills from a fear-based standpoint, if you're not learning these to survive, if you're just learning these skills for fun or, or to learn to connect to yourself better, um, I think that's the biggest lesson is to learn to enjoy that process and learn to apply that to your life to where you're not always after that end result, but you're learning to enjoy and be present, be present in every moment of every day, no matter what you're doing. If you're, you know, if you're cleaning up the toy room with your kids, learn to enjoy the process of spending the time with your kids and teaching them things while you're doing that, rather than just let's get this done and have the room clean. This is ridiculous, blah, blah, blah. Like, Enjoy the process and enjoy the time you're spending with your kids and, and teaching them to do these things. You know what I mean? And that has nothing to do with survival, but it's the idea of enjoying the process. And I think it's really important. But I think it does have everything to do with survival. Because if you have a mm-hmm. cluttered mind, right, because you're going, going, going again, then you're going to, you know, be exhausted. Yeah. And then the repair that's needed for yourself is going to take place. And then that, you know time is dedicated to you and now it's no longer dedicated to the kids to the wife right to the homestead to anything that you're passionate about in in addition so yeah I'm I'm fully behind you when I you know hear you say man it's not a challenge it's like this balance of understanding I always tell the kids at our school like man simple solutions to simple problems like what do you need what are your needs right now right and they're like oh and sometimes they don't know, and that's okay. But I'll kind of ballpark a few things for them. Like, do you feel unsafe? Do you feel not heard? Do you feel like you're not appreciated? Do you feel like, and I just, you know, ask it. Or maybe their needs are like, man, I'm freaking struggling to get this bark off this tree. I'm like, yeah. do you need a sharp stone tool? Like, do you need, and then so we just go from there. And I think when they start beginning to like, I don't know, pattern their brains like right. that all the time, I think it's really simple to start living life because yeah. then you're like, wait a second, do I need to go do all of this to get this little thing? Like, no, you know, do I need to go to this eight years of college to do this thing? Right. <laughs> no. Right. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Did you, did you go to college? I didn't finish. No, I didn't go to college. Mm-hmm. I mean, and no, look I at us for a few years. I had an art so. scholarship and, um, I dropped out of art school, so there's that. <laughs> yeah, but again, like, I don't know that that style of education works for everybody. It doesn't work for me. And it didn't work. Well. For, yeah, high school didn't work for me. I yeah. mean, it, I say it did because I had a lot of fun, but did I retain right. any of that stuff? Like, no. But now, yeah, I mean, I could, I don't know, probably teach a biology degree in conservation and you know land stewardship and different things like that and animal right. uh, husbandry and all these different things. But it's fun to learn about things that you care about. And I remember I did have a teacher. Um, I hope one day he listens to this. His name was Mr. Coslett. Mm-hmm. He was my seventh grade science teacher. I was at Deer Park Middle School. And I guess he showed me that like learning can be fun and that if you're excited. Right, seventh grade? Seventh grade. And I should have, you know, the fact that it takes a seventh grade to 
to get that. So I know. I didn't mean to go off on a tangent. I'm no, <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. Look, that's that's what I'm speaking to yeah. is the problem with this education style that we have is so skewed. And I think, you know, when people like you and me find a, a problem out in survival, we're not just having fun using the things we already know. Right. We are having fun like char cloth, for instance. Um, you can make it out of t-shirts and all kinds of different things, but you can literally rip juniper bark off a tree and toss it in there and just oxidize that and right. throw sparks that and it'll start fires. Like, mm-hmm. so there's little things like that, that I think we need to make easier. And because I'm not saying we want to be lazy, but because we want to meet our needs at less of a cost to us. Right. So this educational thing and the way we're doing it is so weird. So what kind of things are you doing? So you've got, um, primitive wilderness survival with, primarily curtails to an adult audience, but now you've got a youth program. Right. And what are you doing there? How is that going? Yeah. So it's just called Primitive Wilderness Survival Kids. Yeah. Super uh, original. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) You just know when to, as long as they understand what you're offering, right? And so right now I'm doing one day a week. It's on Wednesdays uh, from nine to three. I just take semi-local homeschool kids out in the woods and you know, we basically, I got a lot of my stuff from you. So we play a lot of wilderness games. We uh, learn about the environment, learn about the birds, the animals. And it's really focused on nature connection and building that connection. Because the more they can connect to nature, the more they can connect to themselves, the more they can connect to each other and form that community. And this is just a small part of it, but uh, form that community and community from the beginning has always been our strongest survival skill. Bingo. We are social creatures. We are not meant to be alone, which is why alone is so difficult, is the psychological aspect of it. Um, but, you know, you go out to buy an alpaca, and they won't sell you just one alpaca. You have to buy two of them because they're herd creatures. They're herd animals, right? So I think we're kind of the same way, that that we don't need to be alone, that we... We wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for our communities, for our tribes, um, for our nations, whatever you want to call them, that our ability to form together and share the workload. So, you know, that that connection is a large part of that. But also, um, I guess you could say from a more selfish standpoint, that if you don't care about something, you don't want to take care of it. Or if you don't know about something, you don't want to take care of it. So as someone that cares about the planet and about nature, because I love this stuff, I love going out in nature and it seems like we're getting less and less of it that we can go out and explore. So I think it's up to you and me and and people like us to try to turn that tide by introducing these children um, to nature and, and helping them fall in love with nature. You know, it's not like I'm trying to build this um, apocalyptic, militia of little kids that know how to survive right i want to go out (laughs) that makes me think if any of the parents who go to nature university think that's what we're doing and i feel like some of the parents some of the parents that bring their kids to me probably like yeah teach them this skill you know for the apocalypse but it's not fear-based in my mind um Mm -hmm. it's massively important if everything you know if it ever comes to that uh but it's more about enjoying the present and learning to connect with nature so that they can care about nature so that they can take care of nature in the future. We're trying to pass that torch off um, and, and build this community of people 
that care about the planet and want to to protect it. So that's what, you yeah. know, I was massively inspired by you, um, the work you're doing. So thank you so much for everything you do and your amazing group of, of instructors. Yeah, they're so excited to be out here right now. They're having yeah, a time of their life down are, there at the camp. Um, when we, you know, get to teaching kids and establishing those connections, <clears throat> I always try to feel, you know, like indifferent about their development and their growth, but it's so hard. And I don't know if you've already experienced this because you're doing it weekly, but like, it's so hard to not like, just want to see, like you want to root for them. Yeah. You know, in, in a way that's like, I don't know. Uh, I've heard people say like, you know, we're, we're not trying to save the world all the time, but then other places you're, you are like with your weekly or kids and um, you know, your kids who come once a week. But I also want them to grow. Like I just love, it's almost like, I don't know what to say. It's like being a gardener. Right. You know, when you're getting to tend right. to yeah. these vegetables and watch them sprout and you, you know, care for them and water them and, you know, bring them up. And it's so awesome to see a kid. And, and I, I feel, honestly, I feel torn about the lack of the parent being there the very first time they rub two sticks together. Because I'm like, man, you should be experiencing this. Yeah. Like dad or mom or whoever, grandparents, like everyone, the village should be seeing this right. child yeah, that's how get it this been, first right? Bodril call. Because it's like things like that is, is really a problem for me culturally with America. Is like we have these ideas and concepts of rites of passages, but it's like, okay, here's a diploma, walk this stage, okay, goodbye. You know, oh, you get to do it again, here's the diploma, walk this stage again. But the rite of passage of a first Baudreau kit when you were five or six would have been just, whoa. Yeah. So we do that as a school. When a kid gets a cold, we're just like lifting them up on our shoulders, yeah. we're cheering them on. And I don't know if you're getting into, um, you know, the psychology of it at that level of like really trying to make these kids feel that way. But man, it's, it's so important and vital to nature versus And I think when you go that direction, the parents see it. I always try to say to the parents, this is one thing that they, they may know about their kid, but then this is one thing they were maybe a little curious about and you're now bringing it to light so that they're like, whoa, you know, you're really getting to know my child. Cause how many teachers when your classrooms are filled with 30 people are, are getting to truly know your kids. Right. And Sky Earth is a great opportunity for you to come here. And I don't know if you've invited any of your families here from your weekly program, but this is how yeah. they get to know me and yeah. the teachers and all that. So for those of you listening next year, come to Sky Earth. You're going to get to meet all of us and a lot more amazing folks. But yeah, yeah what um, it's an amazing gathering. It really, it really is. is. What other gatherings have you been to? So I've been to Winter Count. And we used to put on one called Flintlock. Uh, we had a group of basically uh, survival instructors across the nation. And we would just have kind of this yearly um, get-together called Flintlock. So I've done that one a few times. And there's a thing called Bruhaw Bushwhack. It's like a adventure race that my buddy Rick Spicer puts on in Arkansas. So I go there every year. And that's probably about it. Yeah. I mean, I've done a, a handful of other little things, but... I need to get a rabbit stick. Yeah, I haven't been yet either. Yeah. Yeah, I want to go. Um, when was your first gathering? It would have been Sky Earth. Yeah. Yeah. Back the it first, was the, the, the first, first one, one. 2018, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. That was the first one. I think that's where we met. Isn't that where we met? It is. It is where yeah. we met. <laughs> I'm like going back. I'm like, that was like five years ago. Yeah. Um, 
And ever since then, these gatherings just get better and better. I think what we're figuring out is that, you know, people want a wide variety of skills because what I like about Sky Earth is so different from Winter Count is that you're getting like the homesteading stuff too. Right. So there's canning, there's pickling, there's jarring, there's pemmican. And like, I don't think, I, I don't know, maybe I'm mistaken and I apologize to anybody who's taught those things at Winter Count, but I've never seen that kind of stuff like blacksmithing. I don't think that goes on at Winter Count, does it? I think maybe yeah, they, they do. They might have had one class. I think they did year. like metal iron pouring or something like that. I know they did those song bowls one year with yeah, Nicholas yeah. Tamihana. That was awesome. Um, but yeah, I think it's just a little bit different. We do uh, things more like Prairie, Texas. Yeah. Prairie Haven. That's where we're at. <laughs> yeah, it, it's uniquely Texas. So it's really cool. Yeah. Do you, on your um, land that you're using for your programs, what's that land like? Yeah, so it's in North Texas, and we're, we're switching. Uh, last year we did, we used basically a big city park. Yeah. Um, it's called Endeavor. It's the hiking and biking trails in Bridgeport. Uh, but this year we're actually switching to the grasslands, the LBJ grasslands. So it's 20,000 acres of public land. And the idea of the grasslands is that it's almost completely untouched. They do control burns periodically. Uh, but other than that, it's mostly untouched by human hands other than people going out there and, and camping and doing stuff like that. Uh, so it's a really cool place. Um, lots of unique uh, flora and fauna, lots of animals, um, lots of really cool plants that honestly I don't see elsewhere. So we have a lot of really cool plants like beautyberry. The only place I've seen beautyberry around my place is the grasslands. Yeah. And there's a few other ones, but it's a, uh, it's a really cool place, really unique environment. Is there water out there? Yeah. Yeah. There's several lakes. Um, there's like Black Creek Lake, Cottonwood Lake, uh, a few man-made lakes, but most of the units have some kind of water source, whether it's a creek or a pond or a lake. Yeah. Are they, are y'all able to go swim and fish and do all that fun stuff? Canoes? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I feel like, man, if you can't have water in Texas at your outdoor school, like... It's so hard. Oh, yeah, it'd be rough. Because it's just those August months. How hot does it get up here in August? Is it pretty hot? It gets pretty hot, yeah. Yeah? Dude, it's it's like 106 at our summer camps in August down in Austin. It, it might get a little hotter where you're oh. at. But oh, okay. I yeah, thought you were going to say where, where you're at. Yeah. at. <laughs> I was like, but dang. It gets, it gets pretty toasty here. Yeah. Yeah, we've had, and then we didn't have any rain all through June and July. And then the moment camps were over, it just like saturated for a week. Of course. (laughs) Of course. But it actually kicked off our um, homeschool programs really well because it means the creeks were all full. But yeah, it's dry out here right now. We're at uh, Graham, Texas. And every time I feel like I breathe in, I feel like I'm breathing in dust. It's super (laughs) dry and dusty. But well... Yeah, I don't know what else you've got going on. What are what's on the horizon for you? You know, you've got uh, your Instagram going. Um, you got your school. You've got. Is there anything that you're you can reveal that you're thinking about doing or revealing? Are you partnering up with anybody? Yeah. So I mean, there's some stuff I can reveal, and there might be some stuff on the horizon that I don't know about yet. Yeah. And I don't know if I can reveal it. Nice. Um, <laughs> but mostly, I just plan on. I'd really like to get better at creating content and growing my footprint on YouTube and Instagram. Um, I don't know about Facebook. My Facebook's okay, and it doesn't really seem to, you know, it's a different platform. But um, I've noticed that a lot of people that I'm friends with that do really, really well as far as adult classes have really good YouTubes. Mm -hmm. 
And it's something I've known for a long time, but I just haven't put the energy there because I, I've always had this struggle, like trying to walk this line. And I talked to Dave Holiday about this for a solid eight hours the other day, trying to figure out um, what the right direction is to go. Because, you know, his whole life, he was out in the field just doing stuff. Yeah. He's never tried to get out there at all. Um, other people put him out there. But um, so I asked him, you know, what direction I should go. But I think it's important, you know, it's, it's a different day and age now. And I think it's important to have that content and have that footprint. And it's almost like free advertisement for your school because people are paid advertisement. You're getting paid, I guess, once you get big enough. Um, but, you know, you're putting the content out. People can get to know you without having to come out and meet you. So they can watch your videos. They can kind of figure out what you're about, what your philosophy is, um, whether or not you look cool, you know, because we're all a little bit vain, right? So, but they can they can watch this stuff and they can figure out who you are and and be like, wow, that's really cool. I want to go train, you know, with Phil. He seems like a cool guy. Like, I like what he's doing. But if you don't put that stuff out there, it's hard for, for people to know that. So that's where I've been lacking in the past is um, just really not putting myself out there enough. So I appreciate you having me on the podcast. Cause yeah, that, man. That definitely I'm, helps too. But I just uh, wanted people to tell their stories. But I've, I've just been really lacking because I'd rather go out and play in the woods and I'd rather go, you know, primitive hunting and go build shelters and, and go do this stuff. Cause I always, you know, like I said, I struggle with walking this line of, um, if I'm not out doing this and I'm not improving, then I feel like I'm cheating my students. But if I'm not taking the time to create the content, then I'm not getting the students, you know what right. I mean? So it's like this line I have to walk, um, of maintaining my skills, but also figuring out a way to showcase that. So yeah. I think once I get better at it, I can do it more efficiently to where I don't have to spend so much time because um, I'm very uh, kind of illiterate when it comes to technology. Like your your podcast stuff here is, I, I don't know what's going on. You got so many <laughs> buttons and colors. And <laughs> I see these level things going up and yeah. down. I don't know. Like, is that you? Is that me? I don't know what's going on here. Yeah. So I'm really technologically impaired. And I think I just have to spend the time to figure it out so that I can become efficient at it and kind of streamline it so I can start putting out the content to get out there and get the students to come out. And then, you know, word of mouth is great too, but if you don't, if you don't get the people out to begin with, then yeah. it's hard to build that, that, um, community. Man, I, uh, apologize for just assuming so much. Cause I, I figured the moment you were on a loan, like your classes would just be filled 24 <laughs> seven. You know, if I would have, <clears throat> if I would have done things right, um, I see a lot of people doing a really good job like Callie Russell. Uh, she had no social media footprint before, yeah. but right before she came out on a loan, you know, she started growing stuff and she's much bigger than me on, on Instagram. She, she started a YouTube like two days ago and it's already at like 1500 subscribers. So nice. Um, and you know, Jordan Jonas, Clay Hayes is killing it as far as being really, really intelligent about, using that notoriety uh, from the TV show in a way to continue to grow his business. And I wasn't, um, I didn't, I just started. Is he really the bow maker? Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's, he's the one that killed the buck. Um, yeah. Is that last season? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he's, he's doing really good. Um, but I wasn't smart enough to start building that beforehand and then really try to push it afterwards. Bonilla is another one that's killing it in that aspect. 
Um, but they're, they're all smarter than me. <laughs> yeah. But I think what you do is you get like, uh, you know, you look at blueprint formulas right. like, um, uh, what's that? Uh, gosh, he's like a huge YouTuber, Mr. Beast. He's got this whole thing about how, you know, you can take one video and get it two to five million views by just doing certain things like the way you're filming, the lighting, the editing, right. the cutting, like certain things. And it's just the way, even that little sticker icon. You know, and he's got these whole like kind of classes and you can take classes on how to do that stuff, too. I think, um, you know, because how you got to ask your I always ask myself, like, well, how are they doing it and what steps? Because, again, it goes back to the original discussion we were having about simple solutions to simple problems. Right. We got to figure out, OK, what is it that I need? All right. I need more content or I need more students. OK, so I need more content to get the students Right. So you just start there. But I guess what what I hear you're saying is like dedicating yourself to all of that makes you feel like your real world skills that the students are coming for are going to somehow atrophy. Right. I, I'm just. I don't know. I've always been super dedicated to continued learning and pushing myself um, and not. I don't know, not to be the best or anything like that, but I've just always felt like. And I've seen this in Dave Holiday too, and I think that's why he likes me and why we get along so well. Um, is because you know people give us compliments or whatever, and we're just like, oh, we could do better. <laughs> I, I I really have issues uh, accepting compliments in the correct way, because then I feel, um, I don't know, like not humble. Mm. And and honestly, I've always been. Um, it's funny that I teach classes and that I did anything on TV and that I put myself out there at all because growing up in school, I was really, really shy. And my worst fear ever was getting up and having to talk. Oh, wow. Ever. Like, yeah. I, I would get up there in front of the class to give a presentation. I would just clam up. And I couldn't get past my own brain to, you know, I knew the stuff. I knew, I knew the content extremely well. I spent all this time researching it. And I get up there, but I can't get past my own um, insecurities, I guess, to be able to share that that content. And when I became really interested in the stuff and fell in love with it, I knew I wanted to share it. Because if you go out and do this stuff, and I go out and I have all this exciting um, things that I accomplish, but then you don't have a way to share that other than like maybe a friend or something, but you're not able to share this thing that is changing your life and enriching your life and making it um, making you a better person. You don't have a way to share that. And I realized how important it was for me to pass this stuff on and to share it with other people because that's when I really enjoy it is when I see other people get the same thing that I got from it, if that makes sense. When people get their first hand drill fire and you see the look on their face when they blow that into flame and that magic happens because it's magical every time. Right? When that magic happens for the first time with a person, you're a part of that it's so amazing that I was like, I have to get past these insecurities of not being able to talk in front of people so that I can share this stuff because it's too important. Yeah. Right. Just like taking the risk of quitting my job. It's too important uh, for me not to do this, to follow this path because one, I love it too much. And two, it's, it's just massively important. I think, um, I forgot where I was going with this conversation. <laughs> I got off on a tangent No, there. no, you're fine. You know, it, it sounds to me like um, this old saying that says, um, 
you know, light yourself on fire with passion and the world will gather around you to enjoy your light. Right. And I think that's what you've done. Like, so even though you may not feel confident in your voice or, you know, your ability to speak publicly or whatever, like people are going to come, Philip. Like they're coming because you've applied yourself and dedicated yourself to something that they also see as valuable. And so now they've seen how you do it and they want to know that. And, and I just, I, I went through the same thing that you did. It was real hard for me to accept compliments in the beginning. And then do you know what the Dunning Kruger effect is? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I, I had that I, going I talk on. about it often. <laughs> yeah. I had that going on and they had a little, and, and I was, I'll be a totally admittant of this is that I thought I knew everything, mm-hmm. you know, when I first started out in survival and I was trying to help folks like my friend, Sam Kaufman in San Antonio, and they had a little nickname for me, which was Christ Hyde, <laughs> right? He can do no wrong. He can make yeah. no mistake. And I, that humbled me when I heard that they had that nickname for me. I was like, whoa. And oh, that right. was when I think that, that Kruger was like, yeah, and I was like, okay, I'm going to start back over. And I went out to really try to learn animal tracking, you know, as best I could and all these different skills, man. And now I don't feel, um, you know, the least bit worried about saying, uh, you know, I know what I know and that's what I'm comfortable knowing. And, but now like Phil, I think what you're doing is you're telling me signs. Like I'm seeing signs that like, you're going to be an amazing teacher for these kids. And the reason why is because you've gone through and experienced not having a loud voice. Right. Not having, and you're going to be able to relate to these kids in a way where some other teacher might not have been been able to. And I always speak from, speak from experience with the kids of, look, I just want you to know, like right now you're going through something and you're not alone. Cause like I had that happen whenever I was a kid and I know what you're feeling is X, Y, and Z and your needs for A, B, and C aren't being met. And your requests are probably this. And we're just going to work through this together. And just the alleviation, that weight off their shoulders. So when there's a kid who's, you know, maybe you give them a task of, all right, like we're going on a plant walk and everybody's going to select a plant today. You're going to share what you learned about your plant to the group. Like that may be a timid moment for that kid, but you having done that, you know, you're giving them the confidence. And that's the true hallmark of teachers is explaining, look, you know, it's okay to feel the right now, what you're feeling right now. Like I'm here to help guide you through it because that's what right. teachers are. So yeah, absolutely. I'm glad and you went through that, man. I, I'm sure we <laughs> both see ourselves and a lot of the students as well. And you're, you're able to, to see, you know, things that we went through and you have that connection. And I think that that is good. Um, you know, to have some kind of context to know what they need and what they're going through. Yeah. And how to help them get past that. Yeah. So, yeah thanks. <laughs> yeah, it truly is. So I, I want all kids to not, and I always tell people, um, I don't even care if they go into nature after this. Like, that's not my goal. I'm not trying to like make a master group of survivalists and cult <laughs> You're following. You're not making a militia? No. And, uh, but I am trying to get kids to find something that they want to pursue in life. Mm-hmm. Because even if it's something small, like, I don't know, selling lemonade on a stand, you know, maybe all the work and all the dedication. And when it does pay off, you know, you go, whoa, I could do this with anything now. And so suddenly it's how do I apply myself? Yeah. You're building that confidence and yeah, learning the format and helping the kids win. Um, I think we both want them to win. And when, when they accomplish those wins, you know, whether they start off small with their first friction fire, not that's not small, that's pretty big, but, um, 
you know, or identifying a plant without, you know, remembering something you told them at the beginning of the year. And then they tell their parents like, oh, this is a juniper tree and you can use it for this and this and this. And that those little small wins are massive, um, you know, boosters for their morale. Yeah. And yeah, so you're, you're building the kids up and you're, um, you know, giving them courage and confidence and so I think that's that's massive, you know, to be able to help them find those wins. Yeah. You know, what was funny for me, too, is when, like, I always had high school friends, and, you know, we'd go camping, and we'd do all these things. But the moment that I got into survival skills, you know, I was in my early 20s, I, I was invited to a lot more camping trips all of a sudden by yeah. all these people. And they're like, Hey Chris, come camping with us. And like, they wanted me to show them cool stuff. And so it almost like being a nature nerd in a way invites community around you. Because I think like you said in the beginning of this conversation that like we are intrinsically a part of nature. It's like where we grew up and we're not supposed to be living in these little disconnected box houses and all that stuff. So I think people have this yearning and when they see somebody who has like a potential path or bridge to that, right? They're going to invite you. So it's almost like, I don't know, to the, to the kids who may be out there listening to this, like you're, I don't feel bullied ever by knowing this stuff. Like, I don't think anybody would ever bully Philip for knowing survival skills growing up. You know what I mean? Like not to say that's not going to happen, but it's something about knowing and I don't know, this is, maybe this is going to sound totally egotistical, something about knowing things that will keep me alive and the other person not knowing those things right. and they're going to die, like, I kind of am like, well, I'm okay if you make fun yeah, of me. Because no, in a, the end of this, we might, you might not be alive. Yeah, well, you're a massive, uh, you're, you're a big asset. You know what I mean? You've turned yourself into an asset rather than a liability. And Yeah, that's people, a great way to look at it. People that's recognize a great way to that. And I think also... Um, you know, the skills is one thing, but using the skills throughout your life to build your confidence. And you've basically, you know, through nature connection and through this stuff have turned into a leader and, and put yourself in a leadership role because you're a natural born leader, I think. And people um, are going to look up to that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so important. Well, everybody, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, we are here at Sky Earth, and I know Philip's got things he's got to go do, and there's things I got to go do. But um, Philip, how can we follow you, and how can we learn more about what it is that you're offering? Give us your your deets. So the best way to keep up with me, since I am so technologically impaired, <laughs> is Facebook, uh, Primitive Wilderness Survival on Facebook, and I also have a website, uh, PrimitiveWildernessSurvival.com, but I don't update it nearly as often as I should. So social media, honestly, is the best way to stay up to date. Um, hopefully, I can get better about updating my website. But um, And also Instagram, I'm pretty, I post on Instagram quite a bit. So primitive, I think it's like primitive underscore wilderness. But basically, if you just search primitive wilderness survival on Instagram, you should find me. That's it. Yeah. And yeah. YouTube. Please subscribe to the YouTube because I plan on growing it. Very good. <laughs> Well, we look forward to seeing everything that you've got going on, man. And I will say to the audience, if you haven't ever followed his Instagram, there is a lot of stuff on there for you to watch, whether it's videos, uh, things that he's learning and discovering and sharing with you all. 
Um, I think you downplay your Instagram too much. You need to tell people it's aw- it's awesome, Philip. Oh, thank awesome. you. It's, it rivals a lot of uh, outdoor educational facilities, Instagrams, as well as personal, you know, um, entertainers and influencers and all that out there. I really love your Instagram. Oh, thank dude. you so much. Yeah, and look at me taking a compliment too. There you go. Thank See? you, Chris. You should. You my should my Instagram is awesome, and I appreciate it. That is uh, those is stories good? you share every time are amazing, dude. You're always sharing something cool about what, whether it's what you're doing with the kids or what you're doing yourself. Like I'm always watching it. So well, I thank love you. It. I'm glad somebody watches it. I, you got a big <laughs> audience. <laughs> Thanks, all right, man. everybody. Well, thank y'all so much for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Philip. Thanks so much for being on here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, you're doing some awesome stuff, man. And I mean that. I really uh, I really look, look up to you, and I appreciate everything you're doing. So I'm honored to be you know, a, a small part of that. Yeah. So well, thank you. Well, keep coming on, man, because this is going to be a continuing thing, and we're yeah. just going to – I want to hear about these projects you got coming up because I know they're on the horizon, man. Yeah, awesome. We'll see what happens, huh? Sounds good. <laughs> Thanks, Philip. Thank Bye, you. everyone.